Well, hello there. How is your week going? I hope you have time to listen to another episode of my weekly show. And if this is the first time you're listening, welcome. I hope you will enjoy it if you're one of those dinosaurs that has been li listening for a long time. <laughs> welcome back. I appreciate your time. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. In this time of Lent, we continue to pray and to fast for peace in the world. The fallout of what's happening in Ukraine is uh, starting to affect more and more countries, and of course also our economies. One of the most uh, concrete ways in which you experience that, at least here in, in where I live, is these fuel prices that are going up and up. It's not just the gas, uh, because here in the Netherlands we're not uh, entirely dependent on gas from Russia. Uh, other countries in Europe are. Uh, so that is um, something that, of course, is <laughs> really the price of gas is was already very high, but it's, uh, it's uh, climbing up and up and up. For many churches, this is a huge problem because uh, almost all churches in the Netherlands are uh, heated by by gas and so and I, I only know of one church that actually has one of those heat pumps very advanced one where pipes go into the ground and they extract heat from the from the ground um back then when i visited that uh, the priest who was in charge of that church uh i al almost felt like science fiction because it was very new technology at the time. Now I'm thinking he must be so glad that he has that because it uh, it helps to keep the prices down. Um, uh, but also gas uh, for your um, fuel, for, for your car. Um, those prices have never been this high. Um, if you live in North America and you think uh, you're already paying a lot, um, we are paying maybe, I don't know, I've never uh, checked, but uh, multiple times what you are paying per per gallon or per liter. Uh, so I've decided for this time of Lent to not use my car anymore. Something I spoke about in other podcasts as well. Um, I I only got a car because it was gifted to me. Um, I did use it quite a bit for my work for TV, but now that I'm no longer um, bound to make all these documentaries in the Netherlands... Um, I'm thinking, why Why do I keep this car? It's super expensive. I think I, I pay a couple of hundred euros every month just to have a car. And I barely use it as it is. And now for this time of Lent, I don't want to use it at all, which means I'm going to use public transport for the few times that I have to travel long distances. And for most of the time, I'll just take my bike. I'm not a huge fan of riding my bike, um, I'm, I'm more of a runner. I like to walk. Um, sitting on a bike for too long is just painful. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't don't have the build, or maybe I just don't have the right bike. I don't know. But um, I also think it's just a lack of practice. When I uh, was in secondary school, I would be on my bike every day. The school was about nine and a half kilometers from where I lived. 
So in total, I would usually spend at least two two hours every day on a bike. Very healthy. <laughs> Not always fun, especially when it's raining or when it's storming. And well, if you live in the Netherlands, it's a, it's a bit like that. Although it's not as bad as it used to be, but um, the extreme weather, of course, can can create some difficulties when it comes to uh, to biking. But in general, if you just look statistically, most of the time it's it's totally possible to just take a bike. It takes a little bit longer. Um, a while ago, I, I I took the bike and went back to Amersfoort, and. Um, that was two hours uh, to to get there, and then two hours back. That was a little bit too much, especially since I didn't have the habit of of biking. But I'm sure that if I continue to use my bike every single day, um, I'll get stronger. It's just like running and and walking. And what at first seems like oh, it's such a chore, it's so hard and so exhausting, will become easier and easier. And so. I'm going to bike right past this fuel crisis. Now, I know that this is not for everyone. If you have a family or you depend on supermarkets that are far away from where you live. Um, that was actually one of the things that, that struck me when I visited to the United States was that there are almost no biking lanes in some, uh, in some states. It's very dangerous to take a bike and stores are very far apart. Uh, and a, a lot of neighborhoods are just that, residential areas, without shopping facilities. Uh, so you always have to take your car to do anything, uh, which is very different from where I live, where every neighborhood will have a few stores. And um, you can always, on a bike, you can always reach the next village in, you know, maximum of half an hour or something like that. So it is... Uh, it's much more feasible to uh, to go by bike. But that's what I'm going to do. So it's a combination of uh, trying to keep the costs of living, the, the expenses low, and at the same time fasting in a certain way by, by biking instead of taking the car, which in itself is still a bit of a luxury for me. There are hardly ever times that it's necessary to take a car. And... Um, uh, and, and, and maybe, you know, once Lent is over and I've gotten out of the habit of using the car, I'll just get rid of it altogether. And uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, my monthly budget will be a lot larger for, um, you know, just other expenses. I, I'm sometimes complaining that with all these subscription services, it's, so, it's getting so expensive. But that's just a few euros. You know, one liter is, is already like... I don't know what it is not right now. I don't even want to know. But uh, just having a car, man, I could subscribe to any service out there and still have money to spare if I would get rid of my car. So, yeah, <laughs> it's all very relative. Um, and I am very lucky to have my movie theater also at biking distance. It takes me about 20 minutes by bike to get to my local movie theater. And it is an amazing movie theater. And one of the reasons that I like it is that it has a lot of uh, screens. So that means that you can even catch up on movies that have long since le left most regular cinemas. Like, for instance, The Matrix Resurrections. I do not like movies. 
they're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So I finally had the occasion to watch The Matrix Resurrections. And um, you know that I'm a huge fan of The Matrix. I love the those movies. I think it is so uh, original what they are trying to do. It's also a super complicated story with uh, so many different layers, many of which are deliberately kind of opaque. Um, and there are many people that have tried to explain what's truly going on in all these movies and what the bigger story is. But I I feel that, that maybe nobody will have the definitive interpretation uh, of, of those stories because it's on purpose very opaque. It's on purpose that it's multi-layered and you never really know for sure if something is... Um, part of the matrix or if it's supernatural or what's truly going on and who are the really the good guys and the bad guys and um they i think they wrapped it up quite nicely with uh, the 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 third matrix movie and i didn't think that we would see a, at least not a theatrical sequel to to that story there were of course comic books and there was a t- um, an animated series i think recently so there are it's a very rich world that they built and with they I mean the Wachowskis uh they used to be called the Wachowski brothers but then they underwent uh gender I don't even know it was surgery but anyway they they define themselves as women now um so this movie this fourth movie came as a bit of a surprise because the story itself seemed to be kind of over and and done with uh well for those of you that haven't seen the third movie i will i will not spoil what's happening but there there was an event at the end of the movie that seemed to to make it uh impossible to do the movie that they did (laughs) and now in this fourth uh iteration of the story but they have a good explanation for it and um and it it works so i heard a lot of negative talk about the matrix resurrections um, many of my good friends who i actually really value uh, when it comes to their opinion on on movies they didn't like it or they thought it was kind of mediocre so i was very hyped when i saw the trailer i was like whoa i so want to go back to 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 that world they created there is so much um that they could do with this story i just want to know how they you know how 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 do they continue uh this 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 saga and the trailer to me looked very intriguing very cool um and i just wanted to know what they did anyway but when people started to say well you know what don't don't get your hopes up high it's not very good i was bracing myself and um i totally expected it to be very mediocre and I don't know if it's just me, but I loved The Matrix Resurrections. I thought it was awesome. I I thought the acting was... That, for me, was really impressive to see... Uh, what's her name? Car- Carrie Ann Moss and uh, Keanu Reeves. 
back in their roles as Neo and Trinity. But to see that they added so many new layers and aspects of their characters, Neo in the especially the first Matrix movie always came across as a bit wooden, a bit stiff. Um, she's just, whoa, I know Kung Fu. And people made fun of that. But I was very impressed by the delivery of of Keanu uh, Reeves in, in this movie. I thought it was... He added just so much depth to the character of Neo. Um, and, and, and there was an aspect in the first part of the movie that was so kind of new and unexpected and felt like, oh, wow, so we're back in the real world? And because the acting is so real all of a sudden, there's nothing is over the top. It all feels a bit, even a bit slow. Maybe that's what people didn't relate to. But I, I thought it was just refreshing. I was like, where is this going? So we're back in the real world? Was it all a figment of their imagination? And then, of course, the movie is called The Matrix. So... Maybe that is not every not everything you see is what is real. What is real, and so for the second half of the movie, it it just turns into this amazing Matrix movie, which feels tonally, I think, very similar to what they did previously. There were some different uh, choices when it comes to the cinematography. I noticed a lot of slow motion um, and kind of jerky slow motion, not not very fluid, um, but. I think it was a deliberate choice, so it didn't bother me. Some people complained that uh, it looks so cheap and so mediocre compared to the pretty impressive special effects and and, um, cinematography of the first three. But I thought it looked really good. And just um, there were a few choices in the story that I thought were very surprising and original. Uh, And it also, what I loved about The Matrix Resurrections is it gives you... Um, a certain interpretation that that validates some theories about the previous movies and and also invalidates a number of theories. So it gives you a little bit of extra knowledge so you can reinterpret what you saw in those three movies. I always like it when franchises do this. This is why I'm such a fan of Star Wars and what Disney does now or the writers do for Disney with The, the Mandalorian and with The Book of Boba Fett and also with the animated series. They fill in... So much backstory. I mean, I can't believe that one of the most popular villains, Cad Bane, is goes back to all the way to the the cantina scene in A New Hope, where you see similar aliens with the red eyes and everything, and and that was just just put together on a super low shoestring budget. They just reused a lot of um, costumes that had been lying around and were used in many other movies, and they just put everything in any alien-looking costume they could find. They would just uh, bring it to Tunisia and or maybe to the soundstage and film that cantina scene. And now all these random aliens... Uh, have a backstory, play massively important roles, uh, and it's all because they were adding layers of interpretation and layers of story that help you watch the original movies that didn't even have as an intent... They didn't intend to give a backstory to all those characters and events that they mentioned, but it's later on it's filled in and it matches and it makes sense and it it uh it makes you gives you a reason to rewatch the original stories i think of the clone wars you know the first a new hope 
when when uh, Luke has his first uh, encounter with Obi Wan Kenobi and uh, uh, your father uh, fought with me in the Clone Wars, and then I, as a child I remember Clone Wars, Cl- Clone Wars, what? Do they use, like, cloned sheep or something like that? What are Clone Wars? Uh, and, and and it's way many, many years later in the prequels and then later on, of course, in the animated series that all of a sudden that is that one word becomes a story and, and, and that spans decades. And we get to know all the players in that story. So when you then go back to A New Hope and you hear Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, you know, your father fought with me in the Clone Wars. Actually, I think it's Leia that says, uh, my father fought with you in the Clone Wars. So she's talking about uh, Bail Organa. Um, Now, thanks to the animated series, we know, and a little bit uh, also Rogue One, we know that Bail Organa, you know, is a massively important person. And... Probably we'll get to see more of his backstory in um, in the Obi Wan Kenobi TV series. So I love it when writers are able to do that, and and that is why I really appreciated the Matrix Resurrections. Uh, there were so many homages also uh, to to the previous movies. Some of the scenes were almost identical. There were so many like what you call in in um, uh, structural analysis of, for instance, of uh, Bible stories, um, inclusions. So th- there are like details that come back here and then they form like the circle, circle in storytelling where, you know, oh, what, what, what we see now is connected to the, to that other moment that was very identical to this. And so what does it mean? And what does it point to? Again, I, I saw this movie and I had a ton of questions and I was immediately incentivized to watch it again and to kind of think about it and reflect that that's what this movie did to me that's what i hoped it would do but i didn't count on it so i am still a fan i really love the matrix resurrections and now i gotta rewatch all four matrix movies why not <laughs> no. uh, not that button but this button <laughs> Catholics rock! It is time for our weekly visit to the Peculiar Bunch, these weird Catholics that have even weirder habits and customs. What do they mean? Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Oh, meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? We'll continue our discussion, uh about uh, practical ways in which you can implement Lent in your day-to-day life during this time of preparation. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. In the opening of the show, I told you that during Lent I was fasting on on car use. Uh, But of course, fasting also has a more kind of strict interpretation, and that has to do with food. Uh, there are not many days that are that Catholics are obliged to fast. It's uh, very different in a certain way from the traditions in um, in Islam, for instance, where during the Ramadan you're not allowed to eat during the day. You can only eat after sunset. But it's not just that you can't eat. You can't, also are not allowed to drink. So uh, just water. Um, I think that's 
I don't think Catholics would uh, would go that far. However, the the just eating less is definitely part of a very ancient uh, biblical tradition that is still uh, upheld by the Catholic Church. But there are only a few days on which it is compulsory to fast, and one of them uh, we had last week. It's uh, Ash Wednesday, and then you have uh, also Good Friday, and. That's it, I think. <laughs> I don't don't recall anything else. So, uh, and then it means basically that you eat one regular meal, and that the two other meals together are not don't form another meal. So it's a, a substantial reduction of how much you eat, uh, except for one meal where you can just eat regularly. You're also uh, so that's fasting, and then you have uh, also the obligation to stay, abstain from meat which I would always broaden to just abstain from anything expensive because that's what it originally meant. Meat was very expensive. And so, but then some people were kind of trying to find some wiggle room by eating very expensive fish on Ash Wednesday or Good Friday. Um, That's kind of besides the point. (laughs) You're supposed to kind of tone it down a little bit. So keep it very simple. And then uh, in many countries, uh, Catholics are also asked not to eat meat on Fridays. Um, However, that is not everywhere. That depends on the local uh, bishops' conference and what they stipulated here in the Netherlands. We don't have that prohibition uh, of um, uh, eating meat on, on Fridays. But we are still obliged to find some other way of fasting substantially. So it could be for someone who is smoking, don't smoke. Um, don't snack. Don't, you know, uh, don't spend hours and hours on the couch watching TV. Um, try to um, b- b- spend less time b- mindlessly browsing through your fo- various social media um, feeds, stuff like that. So here it's more left to our own uh, creativity, which has a downside. You know, if they would just say, don't eat meat on Friday, that's something everyone can understand. Actually, it would be quite trendy to say that nowadays with uh, uh, also the kind of the, the, the darker side of the meat industry. Uh, I, I think it is more likely that people would follow that rather than saying, oh, you just come up with something yourself. Many Catholics, you know, probably would, uh, would just skip that. They were like, okay, so there's no obligation? Then we don't do it. <laughs> or you, you, I can choose. So I'll cho- just choose to do nothing. Um, that's that's I think psychologically how people work. So yeah, I'm, I would be in favor of going back to that tradition of not eating meat on Fridays. But I would just add, just don't eat. Maybe just go vegan on Fridays. Why not? <laughs> Use other other things than than just dead animals to feed you. Um, so what I try usually to do during um, during Lent is to f- find simple ways to to uh, also um, change a little bit my my diet, what I eat, make more deliberate choices. Uh, for now, what I've uh, decided to do is to continue with this process that I talked about. I think a couple of weeks ago, it's 
basically emptying my fridge. I have a lot of things in the freezer and in the fridge and even in the pantry um, that I bought because they were usually because they're like super discounted and they're past their expiration date. But I know that you can keep them maybe even for years longer, but they have to put an expiration date on it. So I just buy that for almost nothing. But then oftentimes I don't cook with it. So, uh, but I don't want to store food just to have reserves. That doesn't make sense in a country like mine. Um, so I feel like, well, maybe now I should just see. First, before I buy anything new, let's see what I can cook with what I have. The problem is all of that, all of those things in my pantry and in my freezer, they were bought individually without a plan. So it's not that, oh, I know exactly which recipes I can make with that. No, some some of that stuff especially the, the 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 things that are in tin can tin cans and in glass i have no idea what to do with it so it in it is an invi- or it's a, it's a, a challenge to be much more creative in cooking and to well just look up recipes what can i make with this and sometimes i even try to make something that is not how do you say that <laughs> Try out recipes that I would never try out if it hadn't been for Lent. Um, so you you can if, oftentimes with veggies, you can think of uh, uh, there's just classic recipes for those veggies. But I'm always looking for is there something else that I can do with it? Can I prepare this in a totally different way? And there's always a recipe if you Google a bit that will kind of give you something creative to do but and of course it is also a way to um to save to save money if i don't have to buy new ingredients and i can just uh use up what i what i have then um i i do um get to donate more to charity if i want to uh, and and i also want to see as much as possible if i can um maintain the same type of expense on on food that i had before the inflation started um food prices have risen almost 25 percent over the past few months um that kind of depends on the type of food so of course i could just pay more or i could say but are, are there cheaper alternatives uh is do i really need to continue to cook with those more expensive ingredients or is there an alternative also come up be creative figure out simpler ways to eat uh, and of course always keeping in mind that i need to eat healthy because uh, my health is is kind of the basis on on which the rest of my life is built so i need to uh not uh economize on on my own health that would be counterproductive but there are still so many ways in which i i mean just like making my own bread instead of going to i can buy a bread or i can just make it myself it is like a fraction of the cost if i make it myself plus it's kind of fun and it's zen to bake my own bread there is something i don't know artisanal to it so it's not just um trying to live cheaply but it's also revaluating. Is that the word? Revaluating? Just no, evaluating. To, to value more uh, the process of cooking. And well, I already enjoy cooking, but I don't always give myself time to do that. 
because I feel like I don't have time, which of course is rubbish. Uh, there is always time, but you have to make time for it. <laughs> and so we're spending a little bit more time in the kitchen, try to eat simple, healthy, and if possible, um, with as as little of an impact on um, the well-being of animals, um, the kind of a responsible eating. That's what I try to focus more on during Lent. And, uh, well, I share sometimes those recipes that I try out in Father Roderick to the Max, which is my podcast that I make for, for my patrons. So there's always a kitchen segment in there where, uh, where I share some of those Lenten recipes. So go check it out if you want to. Um, which button am I going to press? Let's think first and then press a button. We've done the peculiar bunch. I think that's the purple button on the roadcaster. So now we go and look at some books. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Um, as I mentioned last week, I am very much ahead on my Goodreads reading challenge. So I'm reading about uh, four books a, a week right now. A lot of them uh, um, through uh, audiobooks. And I've really noticed that audiobooks are, are um, just perfect for me because <laughs> I can do something else. I can multitask. Uh, when you read on a Kindle, you have to sit in a chair and do that. But when I'm listening to an audiobook, I can fold my laundry, I can clean the kitchen, um, I can even be outside and go for a run. There are so many more occasions um, that I can read books uh, if I use audiobooks. And so uh, that's, I think, why I'm uh, reading so much, because I find more and more occasions to listen to an audiobook. Uh, I read two books written by Dr. Amanda Brown, um called both called the prison doctor um and uh amanda brown is um a physician who has worked in regular um you know had a regular doctor's office uh, for most of her life and then uh, when she got a little bit older she decided to start working inside prisons first a uh, male prison and then she switched to uh, a, a women's prison and she wrote a number of books, I've, of which I've read two, of her experiences. And it's a lot of anecdotes um, about specific cases. Um, and you may remember that I have read some, like an autobiography of a, a young doctor that I wasn't really very enthusiastic about because I felt that it, it was... It, I don't know, it was a very superficial guy and I just didn't like those stories. It, it was very self-centered in a certain way. It was all about his career and, and kind of making fun of patients. Um, I always felt like I was reading this book. It's interesting because it's a world that is close to most of us, but I wouldn't want to have him as my doctor. Whereas this is very different with uh, Dr. Amanda Brown. She is, a, I think, a very genuine, um, open-hearted person, very... Um, um, really caring for her patients and the story, the way she, the way in which she tells the stories, and she's a fabulous writer, I have to say. 
it, it kind of makes you also feel for her patients, uh, many of which, of course, are in prison because of things that happened in their life. Um, uh, many of the women that she meets, yes, they did things wrong, but it's because people did things to them. Uh, you've got a lot of traumatized women in prisons that I think would actually benefit more probably from therapy and care rather than just being locked up. And so not everyone, of course, but in many cases, it's also a very tragic account of how lives can go wrong and how people uh, get so damaged that the only way out is, you know, drugs or crime or whatever. And, um, because of the personal nature of these anecdotes, you, you really get this, this inside view of, of all these different people that are in prison and uh, how many of them you actually really root for, just as she's rooting for a lot of her patients, especially for those that do you know, uh, suffer from, from damage done by self-harm or suicide attempts, uh, overdose, uh, overdosing on drugs and that sort of stuff. Every time... Well, not every time, but in a lot of those stories, you start to really see the person behind the patients, uh, behind the patient. That's also what she, as a doctor, discovers that it, it, you know it's not about fixing a problem that someone has; it's about accepting the other person. And there are some really moving stories that she tells, um, and also a lot of hardship. It's very difficult, and it's a, it's a hard um harsh environment prison so there is a bit of everything and that what that's what makes it such a compelling read um so i i really enjoyed it um if you want to read my full review of those two books just go to my goodreads account it's goodreads.com just look for father roderick and you'll be able to uh to because i always write down a, a written review after i um after I've read a book. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Um, you know that Apple has these tags now? I think they're called Air Tags, uh, which are basically small devices that you can tag onto, for instance, your luggage or, uh, or your bike or whatever. And then um, they can communicate with your phone or with apple and you can track where that object and the and the accompanying tag where they go so um it's it's fascinating that now we have that technology um to follow objects all over the world i don't know exactly how they do it but it it, it is getting smaller and smaller that that type of technology and uh, this is also very interesting for those that are studying animal behavior because, of course, if you can tag an animal, you can see its movements, you can find it if it's, uh, you know, rare animals. You can also, it helps to protect them. Um, and when it comes to, for instance, the study of birds, um, you can learn a lot about their swarm behavior and um, if they are elusive animals. If, you know, if you get very up close or you, you take even um, animals in captivity, you don't see their natural behavior because, because you already uh, are so involved in, in the research, you influence the outcome. So I can imagine that this tracking technology, now that it is small enough to attach it to birds, for instance, is super interesting. 
um, because we are now able to. It's a little bit like uh, what you see in the movie Twister, where they are examining uh, hurricanes by launching thousands and thousands of small uh, sensors into the storm, and then they can create models. That's kind of what they do with birds as well. They attach uh, these sensors, these tiny little trackers to birds, and uh, then they can use computers to, to log all that data and then come up with uh, these, these, these models of behavior. Um, and so they did that with magpies, which I think is they were only able to do that recently because the sensors used to be too big for the birds. Now they're super tiny. And so they were trying to uh, track a flock of magpies. And what was hugely um, surprising and shocking to the scientists was that they saw behavior that they had absolutely not predicted. And this was not behavior that was linked to, for instance, where they would fly, um, no, it was birds helping one another to remove the tracking devices. Something that, you know, animals helping other animals is something you see in, in advanced species. You know, monkeys would do that or um, certain mammals. With birds, it's usually just, you know, just everyone for uh, for oneself how you say that so it's they are not usually very social um yes they do have flock behavior and that sort of stuff but uh birds helping other birds to remove a tracking device that was something they never saw coming and so they started to study that instead of <laughs> so they couldn't um the trackers didn't stick with the magpies. The magpie, magpies just outsmarted the technology. And and then that in itself, that behavior became the subject of the research. I, I thought it was an amazing read. I'll include a link to the, to the uh, uh, article uh, on Gizmodo uh, in the show notes on fatheroderick.com. Um, but wow. So unexpected. And I love that kind of scientific indifference. Oh, yeah, they're removing the trackers. Uh, but that in itself is interesting for us, scientifically. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the spirit. <laughs> but, uh, oh, well, uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe the, they have to make even smaller trackers to make it work with the magpies. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. I read on The Verge that... Um Apple has uh, given Siri another voice. So usually with these smart devices, you can pick, uh, you know, a voice that kind of matches, well, matches your voice maybe sometimes. Uh, but you, you, they have different synthesized voices. And, of course, Siri had this very particular, very recognizable voice that was used in, in many movies and TV shows and that most Longtime Apple owners are very familiar with, but over time they started to add new, improved voices, better voices, male voices, uh, different um, cultural backgrounds. So you would have African American voices and uh, older and younger sounding voices. 
They now decided, according to this article on The Verge, to add a more gender-neutral voice. Um, I think this kind of matches the current uh, trends in society where there is um, a rising um, demand of of people that kind of feel like the kind of stereotypical gender roles, etc., are something that they can't identify with. And so... Uh, you see that also reflected in in our entertainment industry and now also in the technology industry. So, for instance, on Star Trek, um, Star Trek Discovery has a number of crew members that are in a same-sex relationship or there's even a character now that is um, non-binary, so doesn't want to be identified as a man or a woman, but it's just... Neither of those, and they want they want to be addressed not with him or her, but with them and they, um, and so the uh, I don't know if that is a deliberate um, decision by Apple to create a voice that is kind of wants to be not fully male or female, but something in between, or whether that is interpretation by, for instance, The Verge or whoever wrote that article. But I did check out the voice, and it it does. Still, to me, sounds like a female voice, um, but a bit more like the voice type sounds more female. The diction, the kind of the emphasis sounds more male. So maybe that's what they mean. It's like the there is a kind of a more, I don't know. It's very subtle, but when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, I can see why they label this as gender neutral. However, you know... A voice is a voice, you know. I, I don't know if it's possible to make a synthesized voice where you can't really tell if it's female or male. And, and I really wonder if that is even necessary. Um, but anyway, there you go. Which led me to checking the abilities of my Google devices um, that I usually have on American English. And then I have this one voice, which actually other people told me, that sounds just like you. And it was like, what? <laughs> and then I checked it. I was like, wow, that is actually true. I picked a voice subconsciously that as at least has the same registers as my voice. It has the same uh, tonal height. There, so it's not a very low voice, nor is it a very high voice, but it's somewhere in between. And so the overall flavor, you could say, of the voice is similar to my own voice. Maybe that is what I subconsciously recognize the most or could relate to the most. Um and to me, it's it's kind of a pleasant voice. Uh, I don't want it to be too pronounced. Uh, it's kind of to me, it sounds neutral, but it's probably also because my voice to me <laughs> sounds neutral. Um, and I also really like that particular voice. In it, it sounds friendly. Um, and if I switch my Google devices to Dutch, which actually it's uh, my Google devices are able to interpret both English and Dutch. So if I speak Dutch to it, it will answer in Dutch. If I speak English to it, it will answer in American English. Um, but the Dutch voice is very harsh and unpleasant and uh, sounds like someone who's constantly angry at me. So I, I avoid that voice. And so I now figure I've found that there is a Flemish voice, so Belgian voice, the Belgian in part of Belgium, they also speak Dutch, but it's a much more a kinder voice, a f- more friendly voice. I don't know if that's it, just me interpreting it like that, but it sounds 
much nicer. So I switched all my Dutch devices to Belgian Dutch. And it's so funny. It, it is a slight difference. And I imagine that someone who doesn't isn't isn't a native speaker maybe doesn't even hear the difference. But to, in tone, in tonality, in melody, oh, it's a huge difference. It's so much friendlier. And I don't I don't want my devices to be harsh or sound like they are just robots. Um, that's also why I like actually the uh, Alexa voice. Um, it's a more neutral voice, so it doesn't sound friendly or unfriendly, but it sounds very natural, very realistic. Um, if you let your Alexa device read a book to you, it's just, I haven't heard anything that good in on any other device. Uh, it sounds so incredibly real. And there are only a few moments, usually with names or terms that are not very common, that you, you see, oh, wait a minute, it's a, it's a robotic voice. But um, it's unbelievable how far we've come with this voice technology. And I think that this, is, uh, <laughs> this is still in its infancy compared to what we could do. If you've seen um, the book of Boba Fett, there was this voice synthesis that they did with a certain character. I won't spoil who. And the voice is based on hours and hours and hours of, of uh, recordings of the original voice. And it is just, you can't tell that it's a computer uh, there, there was no actor that spoke those lines. It's, it's just entirely computer-generated, and it sounds hyper-realistic. Anyway, let me know uh, what voice you prefer on your device. If you're on Discord uh, because you're a patron, then I'd love to, uh, to get some ideas on, on how your smart devices are talking to you. And with that, we uh, wrap up this episode. For my patrons, I will record another episode of Father Roderick to the Max. And if you want to check out that show as well as three other podcasts that you get every week, we've got The Gospel for Geeks, which is an audio version of my homily that is posted through that same feed. We've got The Extra Mile, which is uh, like an extension of my show, The Walk. You've got this one, and then there is another show. I don't even remember what it is, but anyway, Father Roderick to the Max. <laughs> Lots of content in the, uh, for, for the patrons if you would like to check that out. just uh, it, It's enough to become a patron uh, for as little as $2.50 a month. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick and believe me, you'll gain more than you, than you give. Uh, it is a very, very welcoming, fantastic community that I hope uh, you want to be a part of. See you next week. Have a great... Uh, continuation of your Lent. Continue to pray for peace in the world with me, and maybe I'll see you uh, during the International Mass on Sunday evening, my time. Uh, just keep an eye on my social media to know where and when. Well, actually, I can tell you right now, it's 5 p.m. Central European time, 11 Eastern and 8 o'clock uh, Pacific time, if you want to join us live, and otherwise you can always find more on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fatherodrick. See you next week!